You're listening to Work Tape, episode 76. podcast it's your boy money mitchell we got isaac grubin grover in the building once again we're going to be continuing our conversation in regards with the in memoriam section of our 2022 in retrospect talking about significant artists who have left this earth in 2022 and shedding a light on what made them so great and so influential uh, within their spaces and doing the best that we can here at the Worktape podcast to preserve their memory and to uh, respect their memory and their contributions. So uh, last episode, we talked a lot about the deaths that occurred in the hip-hop space with the passing of PNB Rock and Takeoff Coolio. But now we are going to uh, shift back over into the rock category. We touched on the rock category last episode as well with the unfortunate untimely death of Taylor Hawkins of the Foo Fighters, but Rock took a bit of a bigger hit as well this year. And the first uh, artist I want to talk about is Christine McVie of Fleetwood Mac fame in terms of bands. I mean, you really can't get as influential and as big as Fleetwood Mac. I mean, their albums and body of work is still influencing many artists to this day and continues to influence many artists to this day. And Christine McVie was definitely a big contributing reason as to why Fleetwood Mac became the success that they did. Now, what many people don't really know is that basically the only true original member of Fleetwood Mac was actually Mick Fleetwood then it was kind of a bit of a revolving door of musicians. But what is kind of referred to as the classic or definitive Fleetwood Mac lineup, the one that is behind Rumors and all of those classic albums and songs, Christine McVie was a huge, huge influence and within the keyboards as well as songwriting as well for Fleetwood Mac. And In my humble opinion, it really is Christine McVie, Stevie Nicks, and Lindsey Buckingham being kind of the core of Fleetwood Mac. And Christine McVie had a huge help in the Rumors album being their definitive classic album with writing credits on The Chain and Go Your Own Way and Songbird as well. She also had a big hand in the Tusk album, which I believe was the follow-up to rumors which in my opinion is actually a a little bit underrated um in regards to Fleetwood Mac's discography I think mostly just because rumors was so big that like even with Tusk being a good album it kind of gets swept a little bit under the rug but yeah so Christine McVie just had a big big help in kind of the Fleetwood Mac that you know we all know and love which was mostly that like late 70s, early 80s uh, Fleetwood Mac, that before many of the members went solo. Lindsey Buckingham went solo, and uh, eventually Stevie Nicks also went solo. I think 77 was one of the greatest years for rock. I mean, just for music, period. 
And it's also kind of, you know, when a disco era was starting to come in, I know it kind of was before with 76, you know, like wings were starting to kind of do stuff like that. And I guess you could say 74 and 75 things were starting to go toward that direction. But I think 77 was one of like the last more classic periods for rock because 80s rock still is classic in a lot of ways, but it's still, it was such a new era, right? And I think 77 kind of is one of the last big bangs of the classic rock era for sure. Mm -hmm. And Fleetwood Mac got to, you know, they rode that. Yeah. And I mean, kind of touching on the idea of 70s rock um, being one of the last great periods of what would be known as like a classic rock sound. One of the other artists who passed away this year, most notably getting their fame in the 70s, is Meatloaf, with Bad Out of Hell being actually, at one point, the highest selling album of all time. And it still is one of the most successful albums regardless of genre, Bat Out of Hell is an album that has stayed in the charts for decades after its release. And also 77. So Yes, and it's really interesting looking upon Meatloaf's career because he kind of embodied that theatricality that was maybe established by singers like Freddie Mercury and whatnot. I was just thinking Queen. So there was definitely a lot of theatricality and showmanship to the vocals. Um, but I guess the difference is, is that Meatloaf kind of took that theatricality and kind of made it on steroids a little bit, at least with my listening of the Bad Out of Hell record, and especially with the pairing between Meatloaf and songwriter Jim Steinman, who wrote a lot of pretty instrumental rock ballads. I want to say Jim Steinman wrote with Springsteen as well. So there was a bit of that kind of influence, like especially that kind of like Thunder Road type influence. Because um, if you listen to the title track, Bad Out of Hell, which has been actually voted by countless publications as one of the best songs to drive to, it's actually voted like number one in terms of driving songs, but for good reason. And the fact that it's a, it's a very driving song in terms of instrumentation it's a long song i mean it's like seven eight minutes long there's a lot of complexity it's almost like prog rock in that respect to where you have two or three songs in one in a way meatloaf comes from a prog rock pedigree i mean i'm not saying like in a purist form but just from the era yeah there's definitely prog throughout that record Oh, most definitely. And of course, you hear the Elton John type sound too. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most definitely, especially on the keys. You hear a lot of the Elton John kind of balladry that was, you know, so popular at the time. Back when ballads were so good. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, we're in a, yeah, that's a, once again, another topic for another day. And that's been a long awaited one between Isaac and I, kind of the. Yeah evolution and or maybe even de-evolution of ballads in regards to which type of balladeering is superior. And, you know, we've agreed as well that the 70s and actually probably the 60s before it. I was just going to say 60s and 70s is peak balladry. Yes. And in regards to just the, the lyric and the instrumentation and 
really kind of the soul and the emotion of balladeering mm-hmm. from the 60s and the 70s. I think nothing really quite compares to that. I mean, not to say that there wasn't heartfelt stuff coming out of the 80s. There was, but with the 80s, it was so much of that power ballad kind of thing, which to me also shares some similarity and an influence from hair metal, which was going on in the 80s too. You know, 80s was like every rose has its thorn and stuff like that, where, you know, it's a good song you know, subjectively, but it doesn't have the same level of like soul or organicness that a lot of ballads in the 70s had. And I guess that's a little bit of a preview for the episode. Yeah. But yeah, so Meatloaf also transitioned well into film. A lot of people's introduction to Meatloaf was not even necessarily through music. It may have been seeing him in films like Fight Club, you know, was getting the introduction to Meatloaf. And then People are like, wait a minute, this dude makes music too? So there's definitely that aspect to his career as well, enduring through um, a big like, kind of seismic change in music. And he also kind of reinvented himself. It's really a testament to Meatloaf's versatility as an artist. Definitely. He had a big comeback too, I think, in the uh, late 80s, early 90s with and I would do anything for love was kind of the big comeback for him since he kind of struggled a bit through the 80s following the release of Bad Out of Hell. So essentially, he put out the sequel to Bad Out of Hell, and that song kind of brought him back into mainstream attention. And actually, there's a, uh, I'm not sure if you know this, Isaac, but now there is a stage musical of Bad Out of Hell as well. So they took his music from uh, the Bad Out of Hell albums and made it into basically a Broadway musical. So basically going along the ABBA route of things um, with, of course, Mamma Mia, it seems to me that uh, the legacy of Meatloaf musically is, is going to be in, in relative safe hands, um, especially as that show continues to go. But yeah, Meatloaf was definitely one that surprised me in terms of when I heard about it. And of course, I had many a great memory listening to Meatloaf, actually in my car, listening to Bad Out of Hell. So once again, it's kind of one of those ones that's a real shame to hear about, but it seems like the the legacy is in really good hands. Um, speaking of rock and roll, Jerry Lee Lewis passed away as well. He lived quite a long life as opposed to Many people on this list. Of course, he was 87. Now, Jerry Lee Lewis, we have to talk about because him being so instrumental and being such a important member of really the foundation of what is mainstream rock and roll, which I'm very well aware of the fact that rock and roll was still uh, really laid down by black blues artists, you know, beforehand. And of course, Chuck Berry had a huge part in founding rock and roll. So for me to say that Jerry Lee Lewis was a founding member of rock and roll may may sound a bit problematic in regards to things. But let's really be honest. Um, he was kind of, I guess, white America's introduction into rock and roll. <laughs> I, <guess. laughs> I mean, that guy could play. so. You know, credit to where it's due. 
He absolutely could. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, you throw him in with Elvis, you throw him in with little Richard. Yeah. Little Richard, you throw him in even with Johnny cash, who kind of took a more country angle, Mm -hmm. but still uh, laid down that foundation. And yeah. So yes, I am very well aware of course that, you know, artists like Muddy Waters, Buddy Guy and Chuck Berry were kind of the real kings of rock and roll. Um, You know, of course, like Big Mama Thornton was hound dog, you know, before Elvis made it his thing. So I'm very well aware of that. But of course, like I said before, Jerry Lee Lewis, in terms of what would probably be categorized as white America would be the introduction to rock and roll. And he had some great stuff. Great Balls of Fire is, you know, an enduring classic that has found new life through its use in film, most notably Top Gun. And then, of course, with Jerry Lee Lewis, the real unfortunate thing is just all of the drama regarding marriage to his cousin. I feel like Jerry Lee Lewis's legacy as kind of a founding member of kind of American rock is a bit tainted by uh, the drama that happened in regards to hitching up with his cousin, who was quite underage. I guess in a way, maybe Jerry Lee Lewis was the R. Kelly of his day, I guess, in that respect, Um, because uh, with his cousin being younger, you know, very much like how R. Kelly got with Aaliyah when Aaliyah was like 15. Well, Steven Tyler's going through his own things right now, too. So, but that's an episode for another time. Yeah. And we can, and of course, Elvis with Priscilla. Like, I mean, that's like a whole other thing, too. But basically, what I'm getting at is I think that because that particular with Jerry Lee Lewis, it was so publicized and like so out there and like the, you know, American media and kind of the global media, I think that did have a big impact on the respect that people show him, despite the fact that he's just as big as like Elvis was kind of popularizing rock and roll. I feel like he doesn't get the same admiration as like Elvis does because of kind of this aspect to his life. So I think that's kind of one of the things to really note about Jerry Lee Lewis. But once again, I think it's, you can't have a conversation about rock music and not put in Jerry Lee Lewis, especially with the way that he played the keys as well. Kind of that boogie type piano. It was really an innovative way of playing piano. And you talked about Elton John earlier. And Little Richard, because, you know, he's on there as well. Yeah, of course. And I think that like with Jerry Lee Lewis and Little Richard, I think that was kind of a precursor to what we might hear in like Elton John and other great like rock pianist Billy Joel even too, actually. Yep. Yep. In regards to um, just great pianists in rock music. And you can hear um, a ton of influence from Jerry Lee Lewis, actually, in the way that, that Billy Joel plays, especially on some tracks, not on every single track, but definitely on Billy Joel's more like typical rock and roll tracks. You get a lot of that, like signature sound of of Jerry Lee Lewis, those trills and that, I don't want to say flamboyant, but like very like grand way of playing 
where it's very rhythmic. It has like a lot of attack and it's kind of just like showing off almost in a way, just because the structure of many rock songs in that era, you know, it was three chords or whatever. It was like, you know, two, three, four chord jams. So that, you know, allowed basically Jerry Lee Lewis and countless pianists to really like improvise and to just go crazy. The 12 bar blues. Yeah, at various points. And it allowed also for guitar players, too, as we mentioned, you know, a Buddy Guy and, you know, Muddy Waters and Chuck Berry. But yeah, I mean, that basically covers uh, the rock side of things. So a couple quick mentions uh, before we wrap this episode up. Ronnie Spector, the lead singer of the Ronettes, um, died as well. Um, you want to talk about, uh, once again, some more drama in relationship to Phil Spector the great producer who pretty much invented the wall of sound uh, recording and then killed somebody. So uh, there was that drama, but uh, Ronnie Spector of the Ronettes, definitely one of the popular female groups of the day. And so you hear a lot of Ronnie Spector's influence, even on artists in this day and age, such as the late great Amy Winehouse, and even the Adele record, even the last Adele record, 30, had some influence and definitely some characteristics of kind of like Ronette's records um, with the kind of more old-timey background vocals uh, that Adele put on that record. But that just about does it for me on this side of things. And, oh, uh, Vangelis is not in the rock category per se, but Vangelis also died. He is a composer who is most famously known for Chariots of Fire, which you have to hear it to recognize it, but it is the that song uh, that's in every slow motion sequence ever of film, basically. So he died as well. And then uh, Olivia Newton-John of Greece, the pop sensation uh, following Greece. Unfortunately, she lost a long time battle with breast cancer. So uh, that kind of wraps it up in regards to the in memoriam section of 2022. This has been, once again, another episode of the Work Tape Podcast. Money Mitchell as a Groove and Grover on the airwaves. And uh, yeah, Work Tape Podcast forever. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>